So let's begin this morning and continuing where we left off last week. Uh, we spoke last week about 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, uh, part 1, in a passage related to authority in marriage, and we spoke about the wife and the role of the wife, and husbands, this week it's your turn, and the role of the husband in marriage specifically related to authority in marriage. And this is such an important passage, and again, something that is so counter to what we see in our world today and what we hear in our world today. So I hope you will listen carefully, and the Lord will instruct your heart from these things. Please stand to honor the Lord as we read his word from 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read all the way uh, 1 through 7, though we are focusing on verse 7 mainly this morning. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. All right, well, our verse 7 this morning breaks down into five basic parts, and we're just going to go through these parts and explain this passage and help you to understand what is here, and then do my best to press you to apply these things in your life. The first, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. So husbands, this is, whole passage is about you guys, so I'm going to be referring to husbands all, all morning here. Live with your wife in an understanding way. What does it mean to be an understanding person? This could go in a lot of different directions. But my heart first goes to an understanding person as being a gentle and a kind person. I don't think you can possibly say you're an understanding person if you are a harsh and unkind person. And this goes with the scriptures. In Galatians chapter 5, we have the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, which is something that we don't naturally default to ourselves, it's something that God has to work in us and something that we make progress in. And we have to confess times that we fail at these things. And we must seek after the Lord to bear in us the fruits of His Spirit. And two of those fruits are kindness and gentleness. And so we are always in Scripture commanded to our weakness. God doesn't command us to do things that we already naturally do. He commands us to do the things that we don't naturally do, and we need to come to Him for strength in order to be able to do those things. And one thing that men need is more gentleness and kindness. We tend to be harsh and quick and angry and things like this, none of which build relationships, all of which tear down relationships. And we need the work of the Holy Spirit in our heart to help us to be kind and to be gentle. 
Being an understanding husband is one who, through your kindness, wants to be able to relate to your wife, to recognize that there are differences between the two of you, and there are things about her that you're not going to understand, but things that you need to understand, and you need to sit down and listen, and you need to hear what she is saying and not assume that you already understand what is going on. Part of this understanding and this listening and this kindness is pursuing friendship with your wife, pursuing a relationship with her. The best marriages are rooted in friendship, that you really enjoy being together. And from that kindness and that joy, you go out and want to spend your lives together, and intimacy develops from that. But without a baseline of kindness and listening and understanding and the pursuing of friendship, the other things will not develop as they should. And I would say also that an understanding person is one that is marked by unselfishness. One of the marks of love in the scriptures is a person that does not insist on their own way. And a person that is understanding and seeking to listen to the other person and being kind and being empathetic is not immediately insisting on their own way. And so husbands, if you come into the conversation or whatever the situation may be already with the situation decided and you're going to insist on your own way without understanding or listening to your wife, you are not following the commands of the Lord. And often the best way of defining something is to look at what it is not. And so if we're going to see what a husband that is, does not have an understanding heart, what's the opposite of an understanding heart? is an uncaring, selfish, harsh, and resentful heart. If you honestly look at yourself this morning, men, you say, is my heart harsh, uncaring, selfish, resentful? Or is my heart marked by kindness and gentleness and wanting to hear what my wife has to say and wanting to enter into friendship with her, listening to what she wants and giving deference to her, all of this is bound up in living with your wife in an understanding way. And if you're like me, this harshness enters in. And when it enters in, I have to go and confess this to the Lord. And then I have to go and confess it to my wife. I'm sorry for being a harsh person. I, I shouldn't be that way. And I'm, I'm God help me, literally, I want to be better at this. I want to be, I want to hear you, and I want to be more kind and more gentle because I know that I should be before God. And if this is the way that you're acting, men, you have to dial it back because you are commanded to live with your wife in an understanding way. Secondly, we're, we're commanded to show honor. Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. What does it mean to honor someone? This is something that we don't have a lot of in our society. There's plenty of dishonor to go around, but not a whole lot of honor. Honor, in many ways, begins with an attitude towards a person. You can say things that honor someone, and you can do things that honor someone, but if your attitude of your heart really does not honor them, it all comes off as hypocrisy, and it all comes off as flattery. It begins with a heart that really, truly believes that the other person is fantastic. And you see things in them that you want to make much of. We all know that in close friendships, and especially in marriage, we can choose to focus on one thing or the other. We can choose to focus on all the faults of the other person, or we can choose to focus on the good things in the heart of that person. 
Because every single one of us here are sinners. Every wife and every husband here, we're all sinners. But those of us in Christ, there are a great many things that are growing up in your life that are good. And as a husband, we are called to look at the good things that are growing in the heart of our wife and to praise and to cultivate and to strengthen those things that they might thrive and that the, the beauty of godliness in her life might grow up in a way that is even greater than it is now. And so honoring your wife begins with an attitude of honor towards her seeking to see what the Lord is doing in her life and praising her and cultivating those things. When we go on to honor a person, it definitely begins with our words once our heart is where it should be. Your words towards your wife can either be words that tear her down or words that build her up. And I would argue with you this morning that the most important person in her life is you, her husband, and vice versa, by the way. That the two of you can either tear each other to pieces or you can build each other up. And when a husband goes back to his wife over and over and tells her how wonderful she is and the good things that are in her life and seeks to emphasize her strengths and honors her and praises her, we all grow up into the things that people commend us for. It becomes a, a point of encouragement that helps us to be what we are seeking to be as the person that's most important to us, believes in us, honors us, and encourages us. And we know that the opposite is also true. When you go around tearing people down and destroying them and speaking against them, it cuts deeply and it wounds. And the opposite is true, where it tears down the marriage and it tears down the household. And so may our words to our wives be from a true heart, respecting them, praising them, looking for true things that we can build them up and honor them for. And it is absolutely vital in the role of a husband that as he praises his wife, that it is done in the home and the same out in public. Every man here knows what it means to go to work and the age-old pastime at work of everybody tearing their wife to pieces. And it's a shameful and sad thing. Sometimes when you, you hear a man talk about his wife and then you finally meet that person, you have this picture of what a horrible person this person must be from the way this man speaks about her all the time. And then you meet her and you're like, this person's not bad at all. Like, what is this guy's problem? But you must be the same at work as you are at home. And, and men, I press you, as you go to work, speak well of your wife. Praise your wife, that when someone finally meets your wife, you know, this must be the most amazing person in the world from the way that your husband speaks about you at work. This is publicly honoring your wife. And the way that you speak at home should match the way that you speak about her in public and with other people. Be careful the words of your mouth. Be careful to praise your wife and to honor her both in person and in public. I think that there's much to be said about loyalty and honor. When we think of outside of marriage, people that we honor in our life, people that we, are, we care very much about, we tend towards loyalty to them. Because we want uh, to honor this person in our life, we don't uh, double back on them. We don't sell them out. We don't undercut them. There is a sense of loyalty because there is a sense of honor. And I believe that the same thing is true in marriage. 
that the loyalty of marriage partly springs from the great honor that we have for our spouse. That we love our spouse, we don't want to disgrace them, we don't want to hurt them, and it produces a great sense of loyalty to them. That we in fact want to protect them and guard them and watch over them, which is a right natural tendency for a husband. And there will be times, husbands, where it is right to publicly recognize your wife. Those things kind of come and go and depends on the setting. But when you know there is a public opportunity to praise your wife that makes sense, you should take it and you should praise her and you should make much of her. And this is part of what it means to honor your wife. And I think it's right, men, to look at your life and say, am I doing anything to show honor to my wife? Do you honor her before your children? Do you honor her before your friends? If someone asked your wife, do you feel honored by your husband, what would she say? Would she say yes or no or just be silent and have nothing to say? There should be a quick yes that I feel honored by my husband. And if that's not the case, you need to correct that. An honored and cherished wife feels secure, shows a radiance, and is a, full, a woman full of hope. I've done a lot of counseling in my time, and women that are honored and loved by their husbands have a radiance and a security to them. Women that are dishonored by their husbands and unloved by their husbands have a tragic sadness to them and a fear and a depression and an insecurity to themselves because of the, the ungodliness of their husbands. And so husbands, I press you to live with your wife in an understanding way and honor her because she is deserving of honor. The third part of this passage gets into one of these very controversial passages, but it, it shouldn't be, but it, but it is. Because it says we honor the woman as the weaker vessel. Let's look first at vessel, then we'll go to the weaker part of it. So vessel in this term simply means a person's body. So in 1 Thessalonians 4, 4, uh, Paul writes about us each controlling, each one of you know how to control his own body. In many translations, it's translated vessel because it's the same word as here, in holiness and honor. In that passage, it's speaking about sexual morality and that we should each, as husband and wife, be careful how we control our bodies, that we might control ourselves in honor. And the body is referred to as a vessel. Another way, and I think a more important way, that Paul refers to the body as a vessel is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where he is just coming off the tail end of talking about the glory of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in our hearts, and the way that the Holy Spirit resides in our heart, even though our bodies are weak. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul speaks about our bodies, the bodies of men and the bodies of women, like jars of clay. And a jar of clay that holds within it the, the glory of the surpassing power of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the idea here is that this great glory of God that is shining out from us or showing out from us, it is as if we are made of nothing but brittle clay. There's nothing that we bring to the situation that brings glory. It's the glory of God shining out of our imperfect and dying bodies that is glorious to God. And in both of these situations, it's speaking of both men and women. Because both husband and wife 
are jars of clay with bodies that are dying a little bit each day and decaying a little bit more each day and a little bit, little bit more each day. There's another ache, there's another pain, there's another gray hair, there's another something falling apart. And this is a part of what God is doing, but it shows the glory of Christ that continues to grow in godliness in the godly uh, wife or husband. And so all of us in this sense are vessels of God's spirit at work in our lives. But the weakness part that Peter writes about here, the woman or the wife as the weaker vessel, I believe directly speaks to physical weakness. In continuing to press the lie that there is no inherent difference between men and women, our world continues to insist on the fantasy that there is no real difference in physical strength between men and women. And so I'm going to go down the line with this. Uh, to talk about this because this is important and it's an important biblical fact and reality. We see this worked out primarily in physical fitness tests. Anyone that has been a part of the military or police know that there are different physical fitness tests for men and women because they have to be different. And the only way for them to be unified would be to take the the, the male physical fitness test and, and lower it to where uh, a woman could pass the bar. And we see this immediately in sports. And this is a, a thing that is becoming very influential in our time, and it should be. We see men pretending to be women and entering into women's sports and then dominating those sports. Why is that? Because they have a physical strength advantage. It's a tragedy to me to see how we had some high school young men participating in women's high school track, and we're already breaking the records of some of the great famed women track athletes like Jackie Joyner-Kersey. Some of her records were broken and apparently are now in the books as uh, high school young men displacing those records. And there should be a place for women and men to compete in different arenas because they are made differently physically by God. Another tragic area of this is related to the criminal scene, and that is of rape. The physical strength of men in this criminal area is used to hurt women and to abuse them with their physical strength. And there is a reason why this is codified in the criminal code as something that is wrong and punishable, because a man not, ought not to be able to use his strength to, to force a woman to do something that she does not want to do. But our age insists that this fantasy of equality of physical strength, because we are obsessed with male virtues. We are obsessed with the seeking after of physical strength and material provision, and we are consistently minimizing and not speaking about and not praising biblical feminine virtue. And this is very, very important. The sweetness and the goodness of feminine virtues relating to nurture and care and beauty are the wonderful part of life. I've said this up here before and I'll say it again. I don't want to live in a world that's all men. It would be all harshness and all the, the building of things and the making of things. But the goodness and the sweetness of my life, though I may bring home certain things, it's all put together by my wife. And it's put together in a beautiful way that makes life worth living. And that is a compliment. This is part of the complementing roles of men and women, that we are not the same. 
But our world is obsessed with physical strength and obsessed with material wealth, and they don't care about anything else that is going on. And as Christians, we have to push back against that, and we have to look in the scriptures and see about the goodness of nurturing and care and beauty and the home and children and all kinds of things that are naturally feminine virtues. So there's much, much more that could be said here. But what I am definitely saying is that there is a difference between men and women. And that we should cultivate the good virtues of each, of the husband and the wife. And that the husband must not use his strength to oppress the wife, but to cultivate in her all that God has in store for her. The Christian husband is not locked in a power struggle with his wife. He does not use his physical strength to dominate her, but to honor her, to serve her, to love her, and to cherish her. Let me say that one more time. A Christian husband is not locked in a power struggle with his wife, and he does not use his strength to dominate his wife, but to honor her, and to serve her, and to love her, and to cherish her. The Christian wife will receive this without being threatened because it's not a competition. They are not working against each other, but with each other to complement each other, that his strength might provide her peace, and together they might form a family filled with happiness. And so this understanding, this honor, this strength for the purpose of service, all of these things roll together to, to, to form one great virtue, which is what we're reminded of and commanded of husbands in Ephesians chapter 5, is that a husband ought to love his wife. And he ought to love her in a way that Christ loved the church. Love is the master virtue. All of these things that we just said here fall under the umbrella of what it means to love a person. You can't say that you love a person when you have no understanding towards them. You can't say that you love a person when you don't honor them. You can't say that you love a person when you don't serve them. All of these things are parts and aspects of what it means to love someone. And husbands, we are commanded to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And if you've forgotten or lost sight of what it means that Christ, Christ loved the church, then I encourage you to go back and read more of the Gospels. Read about Jesus in the Gospels and see how it is that he spoke with kindness, but authority and tenderness and generosity and service. And without condition, with mercy and hope and joy, and for the sake of eternal life and the progress of the soul after death. Everything in the Bible relates not to the building up of material things now, but for eternal life. And in the passage in Ephesians, it talks about Christ Jesus loving the church, not so that the church could build big buildings or have great authority in this world, but so that the church, the people of the church, you and me, might come to salvation, grow in sanctification, and enter into eternal life. And so it is the same thing with the husband. The husband is seeking to be heirs together with his wife for the grace of eternal life. And so the husband is aiming at the progress of the soul, the progress of the soul of his wife and of his children, seeking to be a spiritual leader. Because seeking this, this next part, since they are heirs with you to the grace of eternal life, both the husband and wife, are in need of the grace of God. Both are equal in their standing and worth before God. Both are helping each other in seeking after Christ. But the husband is the one that is given to lead this situation. 
He is the one that should lead spiritually, which means, husbands, that you must be in front in some way of your wife and children because you cannot lead a person that you are not beyond them in some way, which means that, husbands, we've got to keep striving to grow in Christ. If your spiritual life has stagnated long ago and you know that your wife loves Christ more than you do and your kids love the Lord more than you do and you're somewhere in the tail end, you can't possibly lead from that place. You've got to seek after the Lord in a real and earnest way so that you might have their respect and have their trust because you are seeking to be what you are asking them to become. And this is what it means to be a spiritual leader. By Christian character and by example, men, we live for Christ. We must love the Lord. And as we love him, we can teach and help our wife and then our children also love the Lord. We are striving above all things for the souls of our wife and our children. It's what's most important. Not whether they kicked a a goal this weekend or not what grades they brought home on their report card or not whatever other thing, what job they may have landed or not landed. Because if a person gains the whole world and you fill in whatever you want to fill in there, but they lose their own soul, everything has been lost. And so if your spouse may be the most prestigious person in this world, but they have no love for Christ and their soul is lost, then you are missing the point of what it means to be a spiritual husband. And if you, together with your wife, are raising children that care nothing about the Lord because you have not put a spiritual priority on things in your household, then you are failing as a husband and as a father. You must be a spiritual leader. Above all things, we are seeking after the soul of first our wife and then our children. That together, we might enter into this eternal life, heirs together of eternal life. What a joyful and beautiful concept. Together living with a person that you love and cherish. And together you going down this road of life and encouraging each other in the Lord that you might together enter into the presence of Jesus our Savior. This is the goodness of what is being painted here by Peter. Treat your wife in these ways so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the last part, and this is very, very important. What does it mean? Treat your wife with honor, with understanding, with strength for service, so that your prayers before God may not be hindered. What this means, I believe, is that if you are a harsh, selfish, demeaning, dishonoring, and physically oppressive husband, the Lord will cut you off in your prayers. There will be something terribly wrong between you and God because you cannot treat your wife in a harsh, demeaning, selfish, dishonoring, and physically oppressive way and possibly go to God with a clean conscience because there's something desperately wrong in your relationship. And I think there's two ways that this can can be understood, and I think both of them are correct. For the believing husband, when you begin to waver or swerve over into this lane of harshness and dishonor and using your strength in a way that it ought not to be used, you know that you don't have a clean conscience before the Lord. And when you know you don't have a clean conscience before the Lord, you will stop praying. You will pull back from prayer because you don't want to encounter God. This is part of why we do the Lord's Supper the way that we do it every month. 
that there is a time of confession and a time to make sure that your heart is right before the Lord because we cannot go for too long with a heart that is at odds with God or the hardening of our heart begins to produce some terrible outcome. And so the conviction of the Holy Spirit may come upon you, husbands, that you would realize that you are out of line and by humility confess your sins to the Lord and then confess your sins to your wife that these things might be brought back together, that there might be understanding and honor and love and kindness. But there is another aspect of this for husbands that do not know the Lord, husbands that, whose hearts have never uh, been humbled before God, a husband that has never trusted in Christ, who has never confessed his sins. And he goes on in the hardness of heart, and the Lord truly does cut him off. Because what is happening here is that God is watching over the welfare of the believing wife. As we said last week near the end of this passage in chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 3 verse 5, that a wife is commending herself to God by faith to follow after the leadership of her husband, which means that God is watching over her and God is watching after her. And by entrusting herself by faith into God's hands, God will deal with the unbelieving, hard-hearted, wicked husband that does not love his wife as, she, as he should. There are some serious examples of this in the Bible. And Perhaps a husband in this room that falls into this category, you say, I don't care if God doesn't hear my prayers because it's been many years since I prayed about anything and I don't intend to pray about anything anytime soon. Well, you should hear what the scriptures say about this. Romans 8.31 is a powerful verse. It's meant to be a powerful verse of encouragement to believers. It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And the idea is that if God is for us, it doesn't matter what comes against us in this world because the Lord is for us and he will accomplish his will. But the opposite is also true. If God is against us, it doesn't matter who is for us. And so I call upon you, unbelieving husband, that may say, I don't care what God says about me. All the world is going right. I, I've got everything for me. It doesn't matter if God is with me. I tell you this morning that if God is against you, it doesn't matter what is for you in this world. You will lose everything in the end. And so one of the great sobering stories in the scriptures of a person's prayers being cut off is the story of Saul and the end of Saul's life. Saul lived a constantly disobedient, arrogant, ungodly life, and the Lord openly cut him off. And Saul, like so many unbelieving, hard-hearted men, doesn't care about the Lord until he comes to a desperate situation where everything is going wrong. And as we'll see in this passage, he is afraid because he knows nothing that he can reach out to can solve his problem. And so he goes to the Lord and he bows down and, and wants to pray. And you'll see what happens here. This is from 1 Samuel chapter 28, verses 3 through 7. Now Samuel had died and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. And the Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel and they encamped at Gilboa. And when, Paul, when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid. And his heart trembled greatly. He looks over this valley and he sees this massive encampment of other people. And he knows that he cannot beat this army. And he is going to be killed. When Saul inquired of the Lord... The Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. 
And when Saul said to his servants, seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, behold, there is a medium at Endor. And so Saul, when all of his life of arrogance and anger and disobedience and ungodliness comes to a head and he is terrified before his enemies. And he goes and prays to the Lord. The ears of the Lord are shut against him and he is not heard by God and he knows that he has not heard. And so he turns to further wickedness by seeking out a witch that will help him to understand what he ought to do. Ultimately, what is conveyed to him is that he's going to die the next day, he and his sons. And his kingdom will pass out of his hands into the hands of someone more worthy than he is, who is David. And a new kingdom will arise under him. So you men that have a hard heart and you want to use that to hurt and harm your wife and mistreat her, you need to understand that God will cut you off. And when you come to a desperate time where you need to hear his voice, he will not listen to you. Now is the time of repentance. Now is the time to put away this harshness and this anger and this mistreatment of your wife and your children that you might receive mercy from the Lord and understand what it means to honor your wife and enjoy the kindness and the goodness of a Christian marriage. Men, are you treating your wife well as you're commanded to here in the scriptures? Are you in danger of being cut off from God because of the hardness of your heart? Perhaps you have already been cut off and you have stopped praying and you're grinding along with a hardness of heart. May this morning be a day of repentance for you. When I close this service, I'm going to have a time of quietness because I know what it's like to have anger built up in my heart and being unwilling to confess that sin, and needing somebody to tell me I need to confess this sin, and I, and I needs to stop, the cycle needs to stop, so that I might be the understanding and kind person that I should be. And sometimes it takes a direct confrontation for us to reach this place. But husbands, I want you above all things to look to your soul there are many things that compete in the heart of a man for what he ought to do with the, the time of his day and the issues of his life. But look first to the soul and then to the soul of your wife and to the soul of your children. Repentance and faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, being a man that pursues the character of growth in Christ, having a soft, teachable heart before God. I want to read one of the Psalms, Psalm 34, uh, to us this morning. A psalm of David, this more worthy king that came and displaced Saul. And David wrote this in Psalm 34, 12 through 18. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. May we be righteous men that call out to the Lord and when we call out to him, he hears our prayers and his ears are not shut towards us. If you know that you need to make progress in, the area, in this area, pray, confess your sins, and the Lord will be gracious to hear your prayer. The Lord will help you to lead your wife, to love your wife, and to care for your family. 
But before we close this morning, I want to charge uh, our younger people and our single men because I think this is very important. What we've looked at over the past two weeks is what ought to be happening between husbands and wives in the home and in marriage. But I want to encourage those young men or those single men that are not yet married to seek after a young woman that is like what we talked about last week. This world is filled with many different type of women. But young men, single men, seek after a woman that loves Jesus. A young woman that is respectful and righteous and pure. A woman that is radiant with virtue, with Christian virtue from her heart. A woman that in God's sight is precious. This is the type of woman that you ought to seek after as you look for who should I marry. This is the type of woman that you should be seeking. Young women, as you are looking for a husband or a single woman looking for a husband, what type of husband should you be looking for? You should be looking for this type of husband, a husband that loves Jesus and is growing, a husband that though he is strong and you can see his strength, for you he is kind and he is wise and he is understanding. He is strong, but he uses his strength for your service and for your care. And a man who prays, and when he prays, you know that God hears his prayers. This is the type of man that you should seek, young ladies, the type of man that you should have your heart set on. So I pray for us all this morning, that as husbands or husbands-to-be, wives or wives-to-be, that the Lord would help us in these passages. There's a lot here in what we've covered in the past two weeks but I believe these are the ways of the Lord and they are ways that bring harmony and peace and hope in the home. So may we pray, may we seek after Christ that he would help us and bear in our lives the fruits of his spirit that we might live for Christ. Let's, let's pray. But as we bow our heads, I'm gonna do what I said I would do earlier and just give us a time of, of quietness. And men, if you know that there is something that you need to confess to the Lord as to anger or harshness in your life that you might get back on track with God, that he might hear your prayers. I want you to do that in your own heart now as we take a moment. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of marriage. It is a beautiful thing. It is your design, designed before sin entered the world. But every single one of us in this place are sinners. Every single one of us are in need of the grace of Christ Jesus, every husband, every wife. Lord, I pray that you would be at work by your spirit in the marriages of this church, that you would help husbands to lead well and to lead with mercy and understanding and kindness and their strength would be used for the spiritual upbuilding of their marriage and of their family. I thank you for each wife and I pray for them, Lord, that they would seek after the beautiful character of Christ and not after the material things of this world, that they would understand the beauty of biblical feminine virtues and that we would not lump men and women together into one amalgam, but that we would seek to separate the genders, that we might celebrate the goodness of each one. Lord, help us in these things as our world battles against them with passionate activism. 
Lord, help us to keep clear what it means to be a biblical man and a biblical woman, a biblical husband and a biblical wife, that we might set a clear example for our children and we might walk in your blessing. We love you, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.